0: Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Bellinger.: The Canadian Investor Podcast. It is May 20th, 2021. Simon, what's going on? Is it as hot in Ottawa? Probably not as it is in Toronto right now.
1: Uh, it's pretty odd. Yeah, we've been uh, pretty fortunate for the temperature. I think it's around 30 degrees with uh, the Humidex. Um, so, yeah, pretty nice. I'm not complaining for the long weekend.
0: To my Albertan friends, I'm sorry. It's apparently snowing there right now, which is a bit of a tough scene. That is that is a tough scene. I, uh, I, I love my fellow Albertans, but, uh, oh, man, I, I'm happy I'm not there right now. All right, uh, speaking of canada and across canada things keep getting the story the plot thickens you know with with cnr and cp for for kc southern so do you want to give us a little update
1: yeah yeah so um you know who knows reality tv shows when you've got the cnr cp bid for kansas city southern
0: you got exactly
1: Um, So yeah, a bit of an update. So uh, basically what Canadian National is um, trying to do is because their bid was higher than CP and Kansas City Southern has selected their bid, um, well, part of it is contingent on a couple of things. First of all, they need the approval from the uh, U.S. Surface Transportation Board, the STB. There's no guarantee that this will be approved by the uh, U.S. uh, by the STB. So what they're proposing to do is to basically have a trust where the uh, where Kansas City Southern would be put in and uh, once the transaction closes until the STB actually approves it or not. However, if they don't approve it, it will cost Canadian National, 2 billion Canadian. Um, that 2 billion comes from a $1 billion uh, fee that it would pay for um, the STB and a $700 million breakup fee that CN would have to pay to Canadian Pacific uh, because of the, uh, I guess, the proposal and the agreement that was agreed upon with Kansas City Southern originally. Um, there's been a lot of shareholders that have voiced their concerns and they don't really like uh, now the bid for. Canadian national to purchase Kansas city Southern because of those contingency. Um, there's not been much updates since, uh, this was announced, uh, I think three, four days ago earlier this week, personally, as a shareholder, um, I think this is pretty starting to get pretty risky. So, um, I'll see where it goes, but I'm definitely a bit concerned with, uh, the developments as a, as a shareholder for sure. Yeah.
0: They're already paying a really high price like a huge premium to KC Southern. And I get it. It's a creditive like the network that it creates would be quite powerful, but the price doesn't seem right and the market is agrees with what I'm saying. I think CNR is down like 13% uh since the news, which is a lot for a steady railroad. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Interesting what's happening.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the development i mean it's uh it's part of my portfolio it's not my biggest position so obviously um you know i'm keeping an eye on it uh but definitely worth keeping an eye on because obviously if they go ahead with that and it doesn't get approved they're losing two billion dollars canadian so i think it's a bit worrisome about that but management seems to be uh, kind of headstrong and want to go ahead with it so we'll see what happens uh, next, on some more news, uh, there's been some development in the cannabis space in Canada. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago with the merger being completed between Afria and Tilray. Well, uh, Exo is also picking up some uh, marijuana companies as well. So, they recently announced a couple of days ago that they will be uh, purchasing or acquiring uh, 48 North uh, Cannabis. Uh, their ticker is nrth.v on the venture exchange of course it's a 50 million dollar all stock deal Um, it's interesting because currently um, 48 north is actually has a market cap of about 33 million so um, hasn't budged much since the announcement so it's kind of uh, interesting to see that and it's not the first acquisition that uh, exo has done since the beginning of the year so what we're really seeing here, it's um, some market consolidation. So some of the uh, biggest players are starting to acquire some smaller players in the space. And that is what a lot of people were predicting uh, when marijuana got legalized because there was a lot of hype. And most people or more, most experts were saying that uh, they would not be surprised if uh, down the line we see a lot of consolidation in that space. And it really sounds like it's starting to, uh, to happen right now
0: it seems like a must with what has happened so far and all the different players for consolidation. So this is uh, it was pretty easy bet to see that there'd be a lot of consolidation in cannabis. And we're seeing a lot of that play out right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like they didn't pay that much of a premium for it. Overall. They did a little bit, com- like I mentioned, compared to the market cap, but uh, a 48 North at about 17 million in revenue in the trailing 12 months. So, um, I mean, I don't know if it'll be really positive for EXO uh, or not. Obviously, it dilutes a bit more, so we'll see what comes of it. But uh, it'll be something interesting to keep an eye on if we keep uh, seeing some consolidation in this space uh, because there's they're starting to be some big players and they're just kind of scooping up the small one.
0: Yeah, the the consolidation's interesting for a couple parts because, yeah, the, these companies get bigger and more well capitalized. Uh, But also that the unit economics might improve. There's just a few big players. And then, you know, it might be a more investable space for me in the next coming years as this industry shakes out. It's been so unpredictable up till this point. But some of this consolidation might make it a little easier to uh, decipher what's going to happen and and make some of these names more investable For, for me anyways. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And personally, I actually, I find the ones that will be the most interesting, and I can't say there's a clear winner in that space just yet. It'll be the ones that can actually um, have a really strong brand name, especially in derivative products. So not the flower itself, but a more premium, uh, you know, there's all different kinds of products that are available with marijuana or THC in them. Um, So I think the ones that do a bit more of a premium product will have higher margins and will have more profitability. We'll see if I'm right or not but uh, if one emerges as that kind of premium uh, product um, that's the one I'd personally be more interested in.
0: yeah that's a good point. the brand loyalty is going to be it's going to be incredibly important in this sector but it's really hard to pull off because of the regulation which we've yeah. talked about mm-hmm. a lot you know the branding and the packaging um, differentiating your product in cannabis is very difficult. Because most consumers don't notice a difference either.
1: No, exactly, and it'll be obviously the elephant in the room is the U.S. So we'll see how that develops. Yeah. Um, we still don't know what's going to happen on the federal level, but uh, I think uh, you know it's a, it's an interesting space just to, to keep an eye on, even if you're not super interested in, in investing in it, because there's a lot of uh, moving parts happening.
0: Yes, sir. All right, let's switch gears. I have a segment that. I've wanted to do on this pod for a while, but kind of just forgot about it or the time was never right. We had other stuff to talk about, but I'm really pumped to talk about this. And it is the parallels between baseball, the sport and investing. So I'm going to give you a little story here. When I was an engineering student, I would build these mathematical models for different stocks and businesses I was interested in Um. And some of these models got overly complicated. I iterated it a ridiculous amount of times. It's actually not, fun fact, now evolved into the stratosphere score on my website. So it actually derives from like 10 years ago when I was building these models. And um, I rank all my ideas from this. And this is kind of how it started. Now, in engineering school, my buddy Noah, he's still one of my best friends to this day, He is a huge baseball fan, and he loves the math behind baseball. He loves the analytics, and he loves fantasy baseball, if you guys play fantasy sports. So he would build these complex fantasy baseball Excel models. I'm talking like crazy complicated and very cool. And he is way, way smarter than me and way better at math than me. And I, I'm pretty good at math, and he's like runs circles around me. And he would actually help me a little bit with some of these like more complicated parts of, of my model when it comes to investing. And what he was trying to do in fantasy baseball was look for undervalued and underrated players. So he could draft them or trade for them in fantasy baseball. Now this got me thinking way, way back when on some of the awesome parallels between baseball and investing, and I'm gonna go to into what those are. So I'm, I, drum roll please, the five parallels between baseball and investing. All right, number one, baseball players are streaky, and Simon, feel I know you're a baseball fan, so feel free to jump in uh, during this, uh, like. I'm happy to have an open conversation. I, I was going to
1: say that's true except for one player, Mike Trout. But aside from that, I totally <laughs> yeah, agree. Yeah, <laughs>
0: players are streaky except for Mike Trout. That guy is just incredibly talented. a machine. <laughs> oh, my God. He's insane. Okay, so overall, except for Mike Trout, baseball players are streaky. They go hot. They go cold. Even the best players in baseball, they play every single day. You know, they play 162 games, um, and in short time in short time frames, players can feel overvalued or undervalued to their true value as a hitter in some of these short time frames because they're so streaky. Now it's way more valuable to pit, take a bigger sample size of a player's performance when they're at the plate. You know, a one week or few games is really not. Not important when they play 162 of them, you need them to be consistent and it's much more valuable to see their performance over a long period of time. So just like investing, baseball players and companies see regular short-term volatility, but the long-term story is what's important. So just like players and their streakiness, stocks are volatile. All right, that's number one. Number two Because of this natural volatility of a player's performance, smart managers, owners, they'll look to acquire players when the market is undervaluing them. I think that one goes without saying how that parallel to investing is very strong. Um, Number three, consistent small ball. So small ball is when players have a great batting average, they hit a lot of singles, they have good on-base percentage, like they take a lot of walks. These are the types of players you want on your team. And just like companies that string along long-term compounding, you want a long runway for growth, and these companies that are continuing to hit singles and doubles for you year after year. Now, you might want to think about having a player or two in the cleanup spot with a high slugging percentage so they can hit some home runs. They have such high upside when they can hit home runs, but they strike out a lot. So just like in my portfolio, I'm hoping that these growth year names hit some home runs, but there is a chance that they strike out. So I want to be aware of that. Now, because of that, I want most of my lineup to be players with a high on base percentage or OBP, take walks, hit singles, doubles, steal bases, and play good defense. I want the core of my portfolio to be those compounders that I have high conviction in. I want a couple home runs, but I'm not going to build my whole portfolio around that. Uh, Number four, now maybe the most important. Number four, wait for a fat pitch. A fat pitch is very, it's is referred to in investing all the time. So I'm not the first one to make these comparisons of, of baseball and investing. So waiting for a fat pitch to come across the plate is what baseball players do to limit grounding out, flying out, hitting foul balls too early in the in the count. But when a fat pitch comes across the plate, something they can really barrel up on the ball, a player will swing hard. Now, in investing, you're going to have these opportunities. you got to be opportunistic when fat pitches come to the plate. So when you have a ton of conviction with what you're doing in your portfolio, and a fat pitch like a market decline, huge sell-off happens, for instance, last March when the whole market... Was losing their minds. Investors were going crazy. Stocks losing ten percent value a day across the whole market. Um, when the World Health Organization announced that COVID nineteen was a pandemic, I deployed cash like no one's business. I deployed so much, like a significant amount of my net worth, which is really not a lot. But I deployed it in March. Was it scary? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. But was it a fat pitch? Yes. It was like a watermelon coming across the plate. Pretty easy to smash it, even if it's coming in at 95 miles an hour. And that's what I mean by a fat pitch. Um, Number five, the numbers tell the story. Baseball is so analytical. Baseball is the most statistical game in all of sports. No question. There's not even anything close to it. You can't fake results. There's some players who play on small fa- franchises. They're out of the spotlight who consistently finish the year with a solid batting average. Great OBP, pretty decent power. They steal the odd base and they get it done defensively. Um, and they're underpaid or undervalued compared to some of the superstars who play for these big franchises. So over the long time frame, They statistically provided so much value for the team. And you can't make this stuff up. You can't fake long-term success. You can't fake these numbers. Financial statements reveal the story and validate the narrative over a long period of time. So consistently growing the top line, creating a durable business model, gushing out cash, that validates the narrative that may exist out on Wall Street. So over that time frame, there's going to be lots up and downs, but the numbers are going to speak for themselves when their career is all said and done.
1: Yeah, well put. i mean, if people are interested in uh, a movie or a book that really illustrates that on a more you know simple level, uh, obviously Moneyball. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have, Braden. It's a it's a pretty yep. fun movie to to watch and just Billy so, Bean, Billy Bean, exactly. Just and uh, the movie is played. Uh, he's played by Brad Pitt. And it really illustrates how they went for on-base percentage at the time as one of the key metrics they would be looking at because other teams weren't looking at that. And they realized that provided a lot of value and teams were undervaluing that. So that just brings it more to the forefront. Obviously, now with analytics, it's way more complex than that, but that's an easy easy movie to wrap your head around. And one thing, like a team like, for example, the Tampa Bay Rays, um, they have a very small... Uh, budget when it comes to players, so they have to make really strategic decisions. And oftentimes, what these teams will do is they'll take a financial gamble. It may look big, but in terms of baseball money, it's not that big. But they'll offer these long-term contracts to really young players before the players have really proven themselves as super consistent because they see so much upside and they have the data to show them that there's a high probability that that player will reach the ceiling. So therefore, it does make sense for them to maybe invest a bit early, maybe lose a bit of the returns early on but long-term really getting a great return on the player.
0: Yeah, there's a couple interesting parallels to what you're saying there too, right? Is because, mm-hmm. yeah, first of all, to touch on Moneyball, like what they did with the athletics, like what they did with the A's with such a small budget was find undervalued players. You know, the market, the, the baseball market was paying home run hitters and undervaluing guys that were getting on base and, you know, winning ball games, um, and then too with the with the Rays, like what you're talking about, they've they've done so well, and they're franchise. Like no one even shows up for the games, um, and they've done so well, and they've obviously won the World Series and done done incredibly stuff with with small ball, getting on base, stealing stealing bases, playing good defense. And um, another interesting analogy I just thought of when you were talking was. It's almost like they're investing in micro caps, yeah, when you yeah. mention you know <laughs> before the street knows about them putting a big uh, a big contract on them,
1: yeah, exactly. Just basically taking a calculated gamble. that's what they do, and they they do a measured approach, and obviously, there is risk. Um, however you look at it when you're investing or baseball, there's always going to be some level of risk, and it really you know, how you manage that is really important.
0: Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Talk to me about margin. We, I get so many questions (laughs) on investing in margin. You wouldn't believe it. Um, Talk to me about investing on margin, please.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) we've talked, yeah, we've talked about margin before, but I think we just, we never really went into it, did a bit more of a thorough explanation how margin actually works. Um, So the first thing that you need to know about margin, it's essentially an asset-backed loan. So meaning you have a loan which the bank uses your stock, I'll use stock mostly just to, to talk about this, they'll use your stocks as collateral. So the amount you can borrow from your margin will change frequently just based on the value of the underlying assets because obviously, Stocks when the market are open will change in value uh, if you have something that's very liquid on a basically on a second to minute basis, right? Um, so that's that's how they'll determine. You one thing that's important to know is it's not a free loan. So you pay interest on your margin. So since the margin is a loan, when you pay back the money that you've borrowed, you pay it back plus interest. It's not free money. So keep that in mind. The benefits. So there are some benefits of margin. So we personally, I don't love investing on margin. I know you don't, Braden, but there can be some benefits. Uh, but I will also talk about the downsides afterwards. So you can really magnify your gains by using margin. So for here's an example to help people wrap their heads around it. So you have you buy a hundred shares of company ABC at ten dollars a share. So it gives you a thousand dollars investment. A year later the shares have doubled you have two thousand dollars so you have a total of a thousand dollar profit so that's just investing normally no margin you invest in margin so instead you buy on margin and invest a thousand dollars of your own money plus another thousand dollars on the margin so you have a total of 200 shares at ten dollars for a total of two thousand dollars a year later the total value is worth four thousand you repay the $1000 you borrowed and the $100 in interest that's just a arbitrary number i use so it leaves you it leaves you with the profit of 3900 dollars uh, sorry it leaves you with a profit of 1900 dollars instead of $1000 so that's how margin can really put fuels on your gain, and that's why a lot of beginning investor will get into margin trading because they tend to only see the upside of margins.
0: Especially when they're coming into a bull market and everything does nothing but go up. Exactly. Margin is is money.
1: Yeah, and in uh, one space that there's a lot of margin, it's not only stocks. I know stocks, a lot of most brokers offer margin, um, if not all but crypto the cryptocurrency world so bitcoin and so on there's a lot of margin trading so that's um I'll talk about the risks of margin but one of the things that margins can do uh, especially when you look at crypto is you'll see bigger market pullbacks because of all the margin calls um so let's get into the risks of margin so if you don't have a margin calls so Let's just get into that situation first. So you magnify your losses by using margins. So that's the first thing that you have to keep in mind. So, yes, you magnify your gains, but you also magnify your losses. So in the same example I talked before, uh, so you buy ten shares, uh, sorry, hundred shares at ten dollars each and the price falls to five dollars per share, uh, let's say, a year later. So you have a five hundred dollar loss without margin. So if you buy that same $2,000 that I said before, $1,000 with your own money, another 1000 with a margin, the price falls to $5 per share, then you have a total, you have $1,000 left. For a loss of a thousand plus a hundred dollars in interest because there's always that interest on the loan so your loss is a eleven hundred dollars instead of five hundred dollars so that's an example how it can magnify your losses this is not the worst case scenario though the worst case scenario is when you get the dreaded margin call so when you invest into a margin the value of your investment portfolio is used as collateral against the loan and that value fluctuates on a minute-to-minute basis like i mentioned however the actual amount that you've borrowed if you're investing on margin is fixed so that's where the margin call can come in so if the value of your portfolio drops below the minimum equity requirement then you'll have a margin call so an example to wrap your head around that say your broker has 30 percent equity requirement so you buy $5,000 worth of stock ABC with your cash and another $5,000 on margin for a total of $10,000 of investment. If the value of your $10,000 investment of ABC stock drops to $8,000, then you have $3,000 of equity in your account. You just take the value, which is $8,000 minus the loan, which is $5,000. So you have $3,000 left. That's the equity in your account. So In this situation, you just divide the $3,000 in equity divided by the full value of your account at that time. So $3,000 divided by $8,000, which means you have 37.5% equity. If you have a 30% equity requirement, you're still okay. But if it goes down lower and you end up falling below 30%, that will trigger a margin call. So what happens if you get a margin call? There's really two main options that you have at your disposal. The first one, um, your broker will usually give you some time to add some money to your account so you can meet the minimum equity requirement in terms of percentage. If you don't have enough money, then you're you're screwed. That's what it is. You get margin called and your stocks are sold off to pay the loan. And that's really the worst case scenario. And that's the situation where people borrow too much on margin, they can actually get completely wiped out with a margin call. And that's really the reason why we tend to stay away from margin calls, uh, sorry, from margins, because of that reason in the end. Um, if you're looking to invest in margin, just make sure um, that you keep an eye on it. You keep a really good eye on it and you know exactly when you're about to get a margin call because you can actually either move some money around or you know, be preempted and potentially sell some stocks to pay that loan off. Um, but there are some risks, so make sure you understand what you're getting into when you do borrow money on margin.
0: When the good times are good. It's really good on margin, and when the bad team, when the, when the times are bad, it's horrendous. On on when you're on margin, and notice the difference in words there. Okay, so it go if you're if you're investing on margin and it's a bull market, it goes from good to great. If you're if it goes bad, it goes from bad to terrible, like horrendous, like whatever the worst word you can think of is, is because it amplifies your losses, actually more than it amplifies your gains, mathematically. And over a long period of time, if you go through volatility on margin, and same goes with if you have a leveraged ETF, this is why you should never hold leveraged, like three times leveraged ETFs for a long period of time, is because you suffer from decay. Where the, the losses are much worse than the gains. It's like the old, uh, you know, lose fifty, you have to make a hundred. You can't lose fifty percent and make fifty percent. You're only halfway there. Like if you if you have ten thousand dollars and make lose fifty percent, you have five thousand dollars. Now to get back to ten thousand dollars, you can't just make a fifty percent gain. That would only get you to seventy five hundred. You have to make an a hundred percent gain to get back to where you started, and that's the math of losses. And it's it's not, it's not working for you. It's working against you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can search the internet about you know some kids or young people that uh, just got into oh, investing, horrible. and uh, you'll see stories going both ways. Obviously, people tend to cling on to the ones that say like, "Oh, I invest in like a ten to one margin or whatever they." Whatever they got with their broker or uh, you know crypto, whatever it is, and they made crazy gains. But you can also find if a lot of stories with people just basically saying they got wiped out because um, oftentimes they just don't understand how margin works they go ahead they click whatever they need to do on Robinhood to get the margin account then they're like oh i have this much buying power and i only have a small amount that i deposited this is awesome keeps going up keeps going up then you get a quick market correction margin call is triggered they don't realize it everything gets sold and then that's it So it's a, I mean, it's definitely something to be careful with. Um, It is a tool that is available to investor Um, personally, and I know you're the same, Braden. I don't use it, Um, but if you do use it, just make sure you use it with caution. Keep an eye on it and know exactly, you know, what the, uh, you know, like I mentioned, the equity requirement is and just make sure you stay on top of it. You can't leave, you know, leave it and forget it because you'll probably get, um, you know, it, it will hurt. Yeah. All um, right. Exactly. Um,
0: <laughs> Let's talk about six stocks to own for the next 10 years. Simon, you want to just go back and forth like I'll do one, you do one. We've each prepared three, um, three each. And this is a hard exercise, and I encourage you to to do it yourself as well. Um, whether it's three, four, five and it'll force you to really think about your conviction in some names that if you were to own them for the next 10 years, not be able to even look at your brokerage account, would you sleep fine at night? And um, I, think I, I think I would be very confident with these three that I have. And it's a very valuable exercise, I think. And it's probably a, a test to, if you don't I'm gonna put you on the spot. If you don't own it, why? Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get there. Um, okay, I will go first. To no one's surprise, Constellation Software. I will be owning for the next ten years, and Constellation Software has built an empire of software companies, and it is in these are these small niche vertical market software companies constellation has acquired hundreds of them now when you're thinking about these types of companies to own for a long time you're obviously looking for something that has huge upside long way runway for growth but with constellation as well i mean it's already so diversified and all to these really high margin critical mission critical software systems across the across the world so it's headed up by the smartest capital allocator in canada mark leonard and i absolutely will be owning constellation software shares for the next 10 years and uh here's a little pro it trades on the tsx and only trades on the tsx so canadian investors get some built-in alpha right there
1: yeah no i, I was not surprised by constellation i'll be honest um, no. We, everyone to no one's Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess I win because I have two that I traded on the TSX. Uh, so my first one, to no one's surprise, like for you, Constellation, for me, it's probably Brookfield Renewable Partners. Uh, I've honed them for a long time. I'm a strong believer in their business and reno- renewable energy. Also, the fact that renewable energy is becoming uh, cheaper and cheaper and more efficient. Uh, so the economics around it are making more and more sense. Um, and Brookfield just have a, has a solid track record of being able to buy underpriced assets, monetize them, and then you know recycle them when they think they've extracted the most value, sell them, and then rinse and repeat. They do have some assets, some core assets that I don't think they'll be selling for a long time, but they tend to do that, and they have a very strong track record. Obviously, uh, the Mothership Brookfield Asset Management with uh, Bruce Flat. Um, is a major shareholder of Brookfield Renewable Partners. Um, I just really love the business. I love the fact that they're in renewable energy, pays a nice little dividend around 3.5% right now. It's uh, pulled back a little bit in recent weeks and months. Um, they're also they have a dividend strategy. They're always upfront about it. It's typically in the mid to high single digit increase every year. Um, so to me, there's really nothing to uh, to not like about this company. And it's uh, dual listed on the TSX and uh, the uh, New York Stock Exchange as well.
0: That's a good pick. It was very difficult for me to leave out. Brookfield name for my three. I knew you'd get one. So I was, I was pretty confident that there would be one on this list. Uh, but it, it, if it was a five, four list, Brookfield asset management would probably make the list for me as well. Um, we've talked about the difference between all the, all the names, but Brookfield asset management owns 60% of Brookfield renewable partners. So I also I'm a strong believer in what they're doing at BEP because it is a major constituent of BAM itself. So uh, I like the pick. All right, moving on. Tencent, China's largest publicly traded co. And Tencent is a monster. This company is so big. And the reason that I'd feel pretty good about owning them for the next 10 years is a few things here. There's three things that I'd probably think about if I had to explain it to a 10-year-old would be, one, it's a tax on China. It is absolutely a tax on China. They're dominating in streaming, in their WeChat, like their social apps, advertising. They're getting into payments and e-commerce, and they are the largest video gaming company in the world which is a fun fact uh so tencent for sure they also own the epic games which has the unreal gaming engine i have unity as as a as a stock pick as well not in this list but unity and unreal engine have a duopoly on the gaming engine tencent also has this massive holding company they own large percentages of Businesses like Snapchat, Spotify, even Tesla, a bunch of large technology firms in China. They just have their tentacles out in all things media, internet. Um, and it is still run by Pony Ma, the founder of the business. The risk, obviously, is the, the China factor. The China factor, you know, does these companies get delisted eventually? Do. You know this or that happened they're out there i'm okay with it i'm happy to own it this company is doing all the right things in all the right places and i want to be a part of it for the next 10 years
1: yeah i mean i i'm a shareholder too you know that of tencent uh, my biggest thing uh with them is the the whole chinese factor especially uh, when it comes to the payment space and the uh the yep. uh, digital yuan, so the Chinese government is pushing a uh, centralized uh, currency, a digital centralized currency, and they've been, uh, let's uh, to put it lightly, kind of putting their grip more and more on financial institution in China to get more and more control. So that is the one thing as a shareholder that I always have my eye on and probably the biggest uh, kind of red flag. Even though I'm a shareholder, um, it's always overhanging. But at the same time, that factor probably gives you better value for the company because people put it at a discount because of the China factor.
0: I think, yeah, I think it's... Mm -hmm pretty damn cheap here but you're right it's one of the factors you have to consider if you own tencent um and if you're not considering that risk you one you don't understand the business um but two every every business has a risk and that is definitely one if you especially if you're owning it over the counter
1: yeah yeah exactly um so the next one is one that uh you're gonna roast me for um, it is uh, dual listed once more. So Shopify, so listed in Toronto and Woo! in the states. Ooh, Shopify. Oh, I mean, I have to. It's uh, you know, it's it started in Ottawa. I think um, the CEO is from um, uh, Ottawa U, where I went to university, if I remember correctly, Toby. Um, so.
0: You know I'm going to be hounding <laughs> on you until you own some shares because yeah. of this, right?
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm mean, I mean, texting
0: you every morning for the next two weeks
1: yeah, until I see
0: at least one in your brokerage account.
1: I think, well, we were texting about that, right? I think at some point I'll just like say, screw it and I'm just going to buy one share just to kind of have some skin in it. But yeah, for me, it's, it's only it's a valuation thing when it comes to Shopify. Um, it is not cheap whatever metric you're looking at but again (laughs) no it's not it's really not cheap but i mean it's growing really fast they doubled the revenue last year um just to give people an idea how quickly they're growing um they have great leadership um they're great at innovating and that's probably the most important thing in my view is innovation when it comes in that space um we joked about again when we're texting i'm like yeah if you don't innovate in the tech space you end up like blackberry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of true, right? They kind of sat on their totally. laurels um with their smartphones, not thinking that uh anyone would pick up the the new iPhones and the com- compe- competitors when um Android emerges well. And that really shows when you're in the Texas sector, you really have to continue to innovate. Um so for me it's really a company that I would love to own. Um and it's something that if there's a pullback, maybe not. Maybe I'll just buy it. So uh, you shut up and don't bring it up every time <laughs> we talk about
0: it. I don't own any shares. Like yeah. I don't have a horse mm-hmm. in the race. But I mean, if it's on this list, it should be in your portfolio. Yeah,
1: but at the same time, I'm sure um, people that have been investing for 15, 20 years. I'm sure uh, we can have uh, tons of people that will say they'll they'll say the same thing about Amazon, for example, right? So, um, you know, it's always been a rich valuation and maybe if they bought it 15 you know if they bought it 15 years ago they would have a multi multi bagger um, on their ends but there was always kind of a valuation stopping them so um, i feel like at some point this year i'll probably just uh, pull the trigger and just at least buy a share yeah. i
0: i should probably i should probably just join you on that yeah just it's just so <laughs> crazy expensive like how many times do we talk about how how awesome of a business it is And how expensive it is. I mean, you can't just be buying stuff at 50 times sales and expect everything to go smoothly. I mean, sure, it's been the right play for Shopify because they keep doubling their revenue. Uh, And, you know, that keeps playing out. But it's, it's, it's really hard for me to buy something that expensive. And it's been hard for you as well. And it should be because that means we're, thinking about these kinds of things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: All right, number three, the big Visa. Visa needs no introduction. Like, I don't even know where to go with this explanation. Visa is a tax on global digital payments.
1: Wait, wait, what's Visa again?
0: (laughs) Well... How about this? Let me, let me give you a fun fact about Visa. Visa does not lend any money. You might be thinking at home, what do you mean? They're my credit card. Visa doesn't lend any money. The bank that issues the card, the card issuer, they lend the money, they take the credit risk, and they actually take most of the unit economics when you swipe your card. If it's like a 3% fee, 2.5% fee, a large, almost all of it goes to that issuing bank. Whether you're with a Canadian bank, if you're in the U.S., like one of the big issues is Capital One for credit cards. They take most of that economics. Visa and MasterCard take tiny, little, tiny slivers of all of those transactions all across their network. They have built the rails that all of digital payments exists on today, whether it's online or in person, they are operating on top of this incredible network effect that they have built. I believe it's the most powerful network effect in, of any business that exists today. And it is very difficult to disrupt. If it's going to be disrupted, it's going to be some Bitcoin-type decentralized payment network that goes on top but as of right now with digital payments and everyone innovating inside of fintech you are operating on top of those rails you have no intention of disrupting them because that's a loser's game people have tried it's it's not going to work um and uh yeah uh, the defensible position they have is unspeakably strong and i want to be taxing digital payments for the next 10 years. I think it's a huge long runway for growth based on all my experience traveling around the world. Primarily, the world is still in a cash-based society. We might not think it is because you you only use your credit card these days, but coming out of the pandemic and all across the world, the rest of the world mostly is still on a cash-based society And that will dramatically change over the next 10 years. And Visa and MasterCard will be huge benefactors of that, in my personal opinion. Not to mention cross-border payments is about to pick up when people get on planes and start traveling again. So um, Visa is definitely on the list for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and if people are looking for a more bankish kind of payment processor, uh, you'll probably want to look into Amex because they do Amex, out, yeah, Yeah, they, they offer, they issue their own cards and provide the loans, but they also have cards that are affiliated with banks. Um, So it's kind of hybrid. Personally, I don't love Amex, but if that's something you're looking and, you know, people are interested in, Amex is probably the way to go. And, you know, uh, I think uh, Berkshire still owns Amex, right?
0: I think they do. Yeah, yeah. they've had. But it for yeah, a long they, time. but they need yeah. to be looked at as a bank.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's it. I was kind of just. A... Uh yeah i was just kind of comparing just so people kind of wrap their heads around it um yeah. so the last one for me is uh, i actually went back and forth uh, you know i was thinking about railroads but then yeah uh, with the news i mentioned earlier i'm like you know what i'll change it and i'll put etsy so etsy i've talked about it before um i really love etsy because um it's a really good marketplace for crafts goods i know we have some of our listeners that actually have etsy shops Um, and it's really a really resilient platform. It did extremely well, obviously, in part because of uh, all the masks that they sold on their platform with the pandemic. But even before that, um, they actually uh, were able to thrive despite Amazon trying to get in that market. So to me, if you're able to fight off Amazon, you're going to last for a very long time. And I think that's the single best proof of concept right there and to see how they have staying in power is how they were able to fight off Amazon. They increased their fees a little bit, but overall merchants seem to be pretty satisfied with the, the platform. Um, so there's really, you know, I think there's really n- nothing to not like about Etsy. The only thing probably goes back to the Shopify conundrum that I talked about. It is not a cheap stock, even with the recent pullback. Um, I have a small position. I started uh, you know, at a very low cost basis. And definitely if there is a bit more of a pullback or the valuation becomes a little bit more reasonable. Um, I know it's never going to be one time sales or anything like that. But if it becomes just a little more reasonable, I'll definitely uh, just add more shares because it's uh, it's been such a big winner for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, it seems like one you probably should average up on. Etsy's been—I, I love the pick, by the way. Uh, Etsy is one of those companies right now that has built an impressive two-sided network with their platform, and that two set two-sided network is really sticky and hard to disrupt. And people love the platform. I like it as a as a shopper. I've used it uh, a few times. I enjoy it, and. You have Oh, yeah. So you have two e-commerce plays here. I like, oh, yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah. I like looking, it. Yeah. like
1: Hey, we said about 10 years, but I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here, Brayden. Are you sure.
0: ready? I'm ready.
1: So tonight, we're recording this on Thursday. Um, tonight, Montreal is playing Toronto. So what's your prediction oh, yeah. for the big game? We had that's to. That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got uh, the Leafs. And the Canadians playing tonight? What seven thirty p.m. Eastern time?
1: That's it, and it's the first time uh, in a lot of years. I think the last time was before we we were both born.
0: So you know, it's also a fun fact about that is that li- the listeners right now will be listening to this next week, so they'll they can listen to it on maybe Monday morning next week, and the Leafs will have already won both games on Thursday and Saturday night, which is kinda crazy to think about.
1: <laughs> so I'm gonna th- you're 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 gonna pick the Leafs, right? Yeah. Of course. Are you in, crazy? In how many games? Uh I think Leafs win in five. I'm gonna go Montreal in seven then. I'm wow. Going with my heart, yeah.
0: A couple of homers yeah. we yeah. are yeah, I don't think my brain believes me, are.
1: but uh, my heart will go with them. With my show, <laughs> my brain says don't do
0: it. <laughs> yeah, your brain's telling you no. Hey, man, I would judge you a little bit if you didn't take your team. So I'm glad you're taking your team. All right, guys, that does it for this. So we we did six stocks to own for the next ten years. Uh, the the list is here: Constellation Software ticker CSU.TO. Tencent, which is ticker T-C-E-H-Y, you could, you can buy over the counter, over the U.S. listing. Uh, Visa, ticker V. Brookfield Renewable, ticker B-E-P. Shopify, ticker Shop. Etsy, ticker Etsy, right? It's just Etsy, yeah.
1: right? Yeah, that's okay. it.
0: Um, so we have two large technology holding companies in Constellation and Tencent. We have Visa on digital payments. We have Brookfield Renewable for renewable energy. We have Shopify and Etsy for e-commerce. When you look at that basket, you can see why we're thinking about the future. I mean, those comp you kind of have to have baked into the future like some nice secular trends and tailwinds behind them for the next decade. And that's probably a pretty solid theme to put behind anything you're going to own for that long.
1: Yeah, we could check back in uh, in ten years just to see, just to see how we're doing. Hopefully, I'll be retired by then. But, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. well, you're going to be loaded off these picks. So, oh, there yeah, you go. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, if you want to see more stock picks that I actually do some deep dives, lots of due diligence in, uh, go to getstockmarket.com. com. You bring it to my business; it's called Stratosphere. getstockmarket.com. Head over there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, go Leafs go, or if you're a French Canadian like Simon, go Habs go. Allez les Canadiens! I'm saying. <laughs> can you repeat that? I actually like when you speak French.
1: Allez les Canadiens! I can
0: have no idea what that means. Just means let's go translate? abs
1: and yeah, in French,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well. You are my favorite French-Canadian, so I'll I'll let it slide. That does it for this week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. We're out. Peace.
1: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.